This podcast is sponsored by Hey You, the home of the Housewives, with every episode and every season of The Real Housewives available to stream or download. You can head over to heyyou.com and get yourself a free trial. And after that, it is only $5.99 a month, which is like the price of a cup of coffee. Plus, there is no commitment. You can cancel any time. I know January is duvet day time. You might want to take one of those for yourself just to get, you know, into the swing of things in the new year. Don't worry. Hey You has you covered. On Mondays, you will get new episodes of The Real Housewives of Salt Lake City. Thursdays, the OGs of the OC, Real Housewives of Orange County, is back. And on Fridays, we will turn the heat up even in January with the return of The Real Housewives of Miami. That is a really stellar lineup of our faves. I think we have plenty to look forward to, even in January. That is the power of Heyu. So head over to heyu.com now and try it out for free. Hello and welcome to Housewives and Me, a podcast about why we love the real housewives. I'm your host, Connor Bean, and welcome back for another brand new episode, a supersized mammoth edition, because today I'm talking to someone I've wanted to have on the show for so long, and finally we made it happen. Dave Quinn is with me, author of Not All Diamonds and Rosé, which of course is the oral history official look at the beginnings, the gossip, the goings-on of how Real Housewives came to be and how it has become such a pop culture phenomenon. Obviously, the book is full of amazing gossip and secrets and insight into how the shows are made, and it has caused ripples in Housewives world with headlines and reactions from stars interview for the book and some who weren't uh, appearing in recent months. And according to Dave already has rippled into some of the shows. He talks about in this interview how uh, something we saw on Ultimate Girls Trip recently was likely (laughs) sort of to do with the book as well. There's so much good chat and gossip in this interview. We obviously get into the book, how that came to be, all the good stuff around that. We talk about the shows that are airing right now and some that have aired in recent times and what might be next. And Dave gives me some interesting kind of like just little nods and hints about what we can expect on new seasons of New Jersey, Beverly Hills, and even what might be happening with New York. So there's lots of great stuff in this episode. So much so, in fact, that I don't want to keep talking. I want to get straight into it. So here is Dave Quinn on Housewives and Me. My guest today is a journalist who's written for publications like Yahoo and People. And of course, he is the author of the New York Times bestseller, Not All Diamonds and Rosé, which is the jaw-dropping, juicy, oral history of Real Housewives that you absolutely must read. Dave Quinn, you are very welcome to Housewives and Me. Oh my goodness, Connor. I'm so happy to be here. Uh, congratulations on all the success of the of the podcast. It's It's been such a thrill to watch. And you know, we had a chance to meet when you were here in New York. What was that, like 10 years ago, it feels? Yeah, it was 2012. <laughs> so it's nearly 10 years ago. Actually, it's, wow. 20, it's 10 years ago in March, I think. Yeah. That yeah. is this, crazy. This is a Housewives reunion. <laughs> it is a Housewives reunion. And you know, <laughs> No, I look exactly the same, just as young and beautiful as I was 10 years ago. Uh, thank you, beauty uh, lab and laser. Yeah, yeah, same. I was just in with Dr. Terry Dubrow, and I feel snatched and just the same as 10 years ago, too. Oh, my goodness. I'm so glad. Did you sue him as well? or <laughs> We're working on that. I mean, okay. I, think, I think I'm going to forgive him so he can laugh in my face with his wife, but we've yet to hash out the details. Perfect, perfect. <laughs> we will get into that. We have so many housewife shows. 
episodes to discuss. Well, I'm thrilled to be speaking to you because I've wanted to chat to you for ages because you're one of those journalists who writes about houses all the time. And you've broken so many stories over the years, but obviously you've written the book of all books. So we'll get to that. But before all that, before the writing, before being a housewives expert, how did you get into the shows themselves? I was just an old school viewer. I Listen, I love TV. I grew up kind of obsessed with television. I didn't have really many friends. I was very focused on uh, TV. It was like an outlet for me to kind of see the world. And I just loved Bravo. I remember watching all those old school programs, Showbiz Moms and Dads, Show Dogs Moms and Dads. Of course, Queer Eye, I think, was the show that got me into the network right in the mm-hmm. beginning. Um, and then, of course, following with Project Runway and Top Chef, I just really was an old school viewer. My favorite show was Blowout. Like I was obsessed with Jonathan oh, yeah. Anton, the guy, the hairstylist. And then of course, Workout with that lesbian trainer who I also love. So they're, uh, they're just, those programs were always uh, an outlet for me. I just, I, I loved them. I, I never enjoyed watching the reality TV shows that were based around romance. Like I, I don't really watch the bachelor. I'm not very mm-hmm. interested in any of those dating shows. So for me, it was like the real world survivor. And now these Bravo shows became uh, my passion. And that's how I first saw the housewives season one, episode one, the real housewives of orange County. Um, are the police involved? You know, like <laughs> <laughs> just being obsessed with kind of what was happening with, with Gina Keogh and Vicki Gumbelson and uh, and Joe DeRosa and these early, early housewives. Wow. So you were really there from the beginning. And obviously since then you've written about the shows a lot and you've interviewed so many names involved. And that's before the book, which is obviously stuffed full of interviews. So <laughs> this oral history book that, that came out late last year and has been already been an absolutely massive success was that something that you pitched to publishers were you approached because you have written about the shows for so long how did that book actually come to fruition i had a great relationship with bravo throughout the years kind of working mm-hmm. on all of these interviews so we were having conversations they were saying if we were to write a book what do you think it should look like and we were talking through i pitched uh, the process and, uh, you know, and pitched what I wanted the book to be. And we kind of worked from there together on creating it. Now, once the process started, that was the end of my <laughs> interactions with Bravo. It was kind of fun. Oh. Like I, I was a lone wolf in this in a lot of ways, connecting with the women on my own, reaching out to them, uh, scheduling all of my own interviews, kind of working in a bubble. And I appreciated that they were really hands off because it allowed me to collect stories that, the whole time I was like, I don't know if this is even going to make it into the book because this is so juicy and delicious. And I'm really grateful that they didn't cut anything out. Say The only thing that we removed was uh, the women talking openly about their salaries, which I thought was a fair thing. You know, the network was like, listen, these are personal contracts. They shouldn't be talking to you about them anyway. Uh, but everything else made it in. So any feelings they had about... Uh, Andy made it in, the network mm-hmm. made it in, anything they, you know, their secrets about uh, things that were happening behind the scenes. That was uh, really cool to see. Yeah, it's interesting. It does feel, considering it's an official book and a tie in in a way, it's still very no holds barred. I mean, you said there with Andy, like I was reading the book and there's times where some of the women are saying stuff about him. I had to literally check the spine of the book and go, yeah, it says Andy Cohen books on this, but they really are, they're really dragging Andy in this. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah. And, and you know, that is really credit to him. He was very honest and open with me early on. and was like, listen, if the women trash me, you got to put it in there. And I felt really strongly about that too. I didn't want to censor any of them. And I didn't uh, want to tell any of them what other people were saying about them. Even Andy, when we would get on the phone, he would ask like, uh, what are the women saying? And I would really keep it <laughs> quiet for him because I didn't want it to, first of all, cause any issues with current production. That was a really mm -hmm. important thing for me. I knew that some of these shows were filming or even about to start filming. And I would have hated for there to be some bleed over. Now there did seem to be some bleed over and I'll tell you about that in a second, but I tried to keep everyone quiet. And then uh, I also tried to make sure, you know, that I was being true to what they were saying is if I edited one of them, then I feel like it would have opened in the, you know, the doors to edit all of them. So if you were saying nasty things about someone, it's your words, not mine. Yes, of course. And I suppose for people who maybe have yet to check out the book or don't quite know how the format works, it's an oral history. So you you conducted hundreds of interviews and you'd, you, you'd say, you know, there'd be a line of text saying, this thing happens on this season. And then we get quotes from the people involved, from housewives to producers. So I'd imagine you had a lot of information to sift through to kind of show all the sides and points of view on a certain scene or season. It must have been an enormous amount of work to have it make sense in the way that it does because it reads brilliantly as a piece of fi not fiction but as a book but <laughs> i can imagine it wasn't easy to put that together no not at all connor and i, I uh gosh there was about 185 interviews that i did wow. well over 500 hours i think i was up to like 700 hours actually Whew. in the amount of interviews then all of course had to be transcribed then all had to be edited down um, i had mm -hmm. uh, uh, two wonderful helpers kind of getting me to the end there. Um, Lamford Beard, who is a colleague of mine uh, who I've worked with for years and really helped me kind of cut some of these transcripts down because some of them were like, uh, you know, 80 pages long and you just had to sift through all of them and organize them. And she was a, a gem in that. And then mm -hmm. uh, I also worked with an incredible editor named Rachel who really helped me uh, structure some of it because, you know, it's hard. Like, I put everything in there. My first chapter that I delivered uh, just on Orange County, 15 years of television was 300 pages in and of itself. So that oh I, I was like, here's everything I learned. And then we had to really be like, okay, what's important and what's not yeah. cut out. You know, I had a lot of interviews with people who auditioned for the show and didn't make it. And those yeah. all got cut because of course, you know, when you're reading it, you only want to hear from the people that you know. So it was insane. <laughs> I could write I a book imagine. about writing the book. <laughs> yeah, or you could do it. I feel like we could do the Peacock streaming series about you making the book. Like, I'd I'm, watch that. I'm completely down for it. And the amount of information that I have, I could release five more books. I, yeah. I tried at a certain point, it was me arguing with the editors and begging for like a two-part book. I was like, please, can we do, oh. you know, 10 franchises uh, total and do five and five? But uh, I didn't win that argument. <laughs> Listen, you've had a hit. You've got a hit book now, so anything is possible. Well, who was the first person that you spoke to for the book, or the first few names, housewives or otherwise, that you spoke to for the book when you started out? Was it the OC cast? It wasn't actually. So uh, you know, it was such. I started the interviews in June 2020, so like the wow. height of the coronavirus pandemic. Everybody's mm -hmm. sitting at home. We were all in lockdown for the yeah. most part, uh, and the Black Lives Matter movement was starting to really surge. Uh, so my first few interviews, I think that I really just started by reaching out to housewives who I had really good relationships with. Yeah. I would spend my days uh, 
emailing, cold uh, DMing, trying to get contact information because it's, again, it's not like they, I was handed all these people. I had to, I had to find them. Um, wow. And some just never responded to me and others wanted nothing to do with it. But, you know, I was like fighting and trying to convince people who initially said no to come on board. And uh, so I started with people who I knew really well. I think Margaret Josephs was one of my first interviews. Um, Dolores, like these are, you know, living in New York, I know a lot of the Jersey and New York housewives especially well. So I started Mm -hmm. there. And I also, um, you know, Leanne Locken was one of the first interviews I did when I was in the process of pitching the book to Bravo. She was in town filming the Real Housewives season four uh, reunion, Real Housewives oh, of wow. Dallas season four reunion. So I went to her hotel room the night before the reunion and I interviewed her for like an hour and a half, two hours, just to get like an idea of what the process, like what it would feel like having a, a no hold barred interview. And mm-hmm. uh, so that I could really test myself and see if I could do it. So that interview is in the book. It's the first interview I really ever did, but it was before the book was ever officially signed. I see. Wow. So, I mean, it was a long process. Now you have, you obviously spoke to a lot of housewives and something you said when you were on bitch sesh that has stuck in my head because I just, I've been trying to visualize it is you mentioned that you interviewed Carol Radziville for the book, who is, who is full of great quotes in the book, and I'm sure it delivers every time because she is a journalist as well. But you mentioned that you spoke to her for 12 hours, and I just <laughs> need to know, what is it like to, because I will do interviews with this podcast, and if it goes to 90 minutes, I'm like, wow, I'm the, I'm a Barbara Walters, I could do this all day. <laughs> what 12 hours with someone, how does that work? And I'm guessing in Carol's case, she was giving you a forensic analysis of the show, because that's how her brain works. Yeah, and the thing about Carol that's so fascinating is that she is, again, because she has this background of being a journalist, she really mm-hmm. sees it from you know a wide lens. But what I loved about my conversation, my 12-hour conversation with Carol was that, um, and it lasted, I think it was a full Saturday, is that it didn't, <laughs> first of all, it didn't feel like 12 hours because it was a true conversation. So she would say things like, well, what do you think about this? And what do you see in this? And what are your thoughts on it? And we would mm. talk together just, you know, so sometimes we would start examining things behind the scenes and start figuring things out. We talked a lot about Cartagena. I was so interested in Cartagena and the story around, you know, that boat ride um, (laughs) and the aftermath of it. Everybody basically, you know, got parasites and were sick (laughs) as dogs. Uh, I think Dorinda told me that they had to like, they got set up with like an infectious disease doctor, like somebody who is like oh a specialist God. in helping them when they got back to the States. So we talked a lot about that. And of course, you know, she had very strong feelings about her friendship with Bethany and how that full fell apart. Um, which, uh, you know, I still looking back at that season, even going through the book have such strong feelings about like, it's so hard to, I don't know, see it any other way now that uh, we've chatted. Also, I'm just curious. I know this is so ridiculous, but I have to ask, like, when you're interviewing someone for that, do you break for lunch? Are you like, yeah, I'm just going <laughs> to, are you eating? Are you uh, getting a sandwich while she's talking around 1 p.m.? Do you run to pee when you get it? Like, how does it work when you're on the call that long? Because it's just, I just can't imagine spending 12 hours at any one interview or not. I was like, how does that work? <laughs> I, she, I do not remember us ever, and I have to go back and listen, I do not remember us ever telling the other person that we needed to use the restroom, which means that we both just peed on mute, uh, which is fine. I mean, it, it happens all the time. Tell me none of, 
anybody <laughs> listening, you all peed on the phone. Like, get over it. Um, so we like to do that. And I, I, I just snacked. I grazed, I think, uh, during just that imagining. time. But, but I was riveted. And I remember just, I was sitting in the, my bedroom when we were having the majority of the conversation. I remember just sitting there. You know, I had to have my laptop. That's how I was recording everything. Yes. So the phone was, was on speaker and I was recording through my laptop. And I was literally just sitting there like, Oh my God, you're giving me gold, gold, gold. Now yeah. she did repeat herself a lot. Like anybody does when they're talking yeah. for that long. Uh, and that is where <laughs> Lanford was so helpful in helping me kind yes. of uh, sift through it all. And she came on, I would say about halfway through the project because I had tried to do it all myself. And then at a certain point I was like, I need help. <laughs> Cause we did this all in six months uh, or eight months, which is incredible. Yeah, like, that's when insane. When you think about how fast. Anyway. Yeah. I mean, I don't want to harp on Carl because there's literally so much other stuff I want to talk about. But one thing, I think it's interesting that you spoke to her that long and with such detail because her her relationship with the show seems a little bit conflicted in that she at times has come across a little bit almost snarky about the show, but also she does have great insight into how it all works and she's very intelligent. I mean, do you think she's in a good, like, are the housewives in general in a good place with how they feel about their time in the show once they've left? Because they all seem to have very different takes on things once they've, they are, they are no longer on the show. Yeah, it's such an interesting thing. You know, um, I think that every housewife has a totally different experience with it, but they can be grouped into similar buckets. There are the women who have been away from it for long enough that they have appreciated being a part of mm-hmm. it. Um, and, you know, it, it was a part of their lives, but it's not the defining part of their lives. I think a lot of the early OC women fall into that bucket, you know, the Quinn Fries, the Tammy Knickerbockers, even mm-hmm. to some extent, the Gina Keogs, like being a part of this was fun, but it isn't the only thing. And then there are those who have been there for a long time and feel, I would say somewhat wronged by the experience. Uh, they don't feel like their truth was really shown and, um, they feel frustrated by their exits. I think Carol was, you know, would openly say that she was part of that, uh, bucket. Yeah. I think Leanne is a little part of that bucket. Um, you know, it's like, it's not, it's not that they're bitter about being fired. They understand this is the way the world works or they had to go. And that was that, but they feel like the audience doesn't really understand why and uh and harp on a reason that is not necessarily their truth and then i think there are those you know who fall somewhere in the middle of those two things and and go back and forth from it every day it's difficult because you can never escape it right so think about vicky gunvalson lots of people will say like oh she needs to get over it you know like she's off the show but how can she get over it every single day somebody is in her DMs or on her Instagram or on her Twitter or wherever tweeting her, leaving comments to her saying, I wish you could come back to the show. The show isn't the same without you. We miss you. So there's no escape Mm. from it. You are stuck. And if you feel a certain way, you know, like, why was I fired? Why was I let go? Why is this happening? You never get a clear answer. It's not like the network sits you down and says, we are firing you for this specific reason. what I've learned from speaking in, in the book shows, interviews with producers and executives, what I've really learned is that everybody's exit is subjective. That you know, they yeah. make choices based on how they feel at the time. 
they would producers would say to me, well, we don't want to move forward with this woman because she didn't really have any new storyline. There was nothing new to explore. And you can take that exact same logic and place it on someone like yeah. Sonia Morgan or Ramona Singer and say, well, what has their storyline been for X amount of seasons? You know, what new yeah. is there to explore in their story? And, and you'll never, you know, that same person who says that this person doesn't have a story anymore can't really answer, you know, those other things. I think ultimately it just is a feeling, a mix and, and where they are at the moment. And uh, there's a lot more that goes into those exits than we even know. So the women are often let in, left in the dark. I mean, look at Kelly Dodd. Over the past couple of weeks, she has blamed her exit from the show on everything from the Black Lives Matter movement to cancel culture to uh, the ratings to, uh, you know, like Andy. She loves Bronwyn. She loves to bash Bronwyn, Bronwyn. Heather Dubrow. <laughs> these are all people to blame for her exit. And it's like, I think that she does not know why she was fired and is like, you know, in a place where she's just trying to figure it out herself. So, yeah, it's messy. I mean, I when I think of Kelly Dodd, I mean, a lot of the issues people would have with her behavior, I would share. But I always and I I know people who don't agree with that, even personally. And I always think. But either way, when I think of her last season on the show, story wise, she actually did have very little to give. Even like her much hyped wedding completely happened away from the show. So I'm kind of like, actually, Kelly, from a logical point of view, I'm not surprised they didn't ask you back. But of course, it's easier to be like, everyone's too woke. Bronwyn was an idiot. I'm like, okay. Like, but as you say, it's part of the stages of grief. I'm sure they all go through, no matter their political beliefs, if they are taken away from the show after however many years. Right. And, and it's like the network can't necessarily guide them in any way. So they're often also left mm. thinking, am I coming back? Could I come back one day? Like, how do I strategize through it? I have a lot of compassion for all of them. I don't think, you know, um, I, I don't think any of them are wrong or right in this sort of situation. I think they're just yeah. experiencing the emotion as they're experiencing it. And I hope that they are able to find some sort of peace with it. Listen, I've been fired from a job, right? Like I've left. Yeah careers and and looked back or left companies rather and looked back and felt bitter about their success or you know even gleeful in their failure so yeah. and so it's like it's a perfectly human feeling to have yeah i mean you've interviewed so many housewives for this book we, we've talked about someone where you did a mammoth interview but are there any other interviews that you had that stood out either because the situation the person was in when they spoke to you was a bit funny or they just even didn't give you much time because in the book some people feature quite heavily and then there are some people who feature but they seem to feature in a way that suggests they weren't as giving with their time <laughs> yeah i mean everybody is <laughs> had a different perspective on how they wanted to approach these conversations i never i, I wasn't looking to do any sort of um shadiness in any of my interviews yeah. you know i i, I i'm a I'm a pretty genuine person. I really believe in kindness and compassion and empathy. And I just wanted them to tell their stories. And I was going to tell them as honestly as I could. Now, some people use those opportunities to bash others and other people yes, use those opportunities yes. <laughs> uh, to, to fly above. And, um, you know, and I, I think... caught the candy reference there. I caught the candy <laughs> reference. It was there. I, saw, I heard it. I heard it. I heard it. it. I noted it. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it, it, it's it, it's interesting. My a lot of those interviews that I look back with, you have to understand that I am a housewife's fan first. So mm -hmm. even as I've developed friendships with some of these women, it's never lost to me. When I look at my phone and Dorinda Medley is calling me, I'm still like, <laughs> oh my god, Dorinda Medley is calling me. 
<laughs> or like Vicky called me the other night and I was like, oh my God, Vicky Gumpelson? You know, like there's still, I'm still a fan. And that is how I approach all of these interviews. So even, you know, as much as people were like, oh my God, you got to talk to these people. I was just as excited to talk to Joe De La Rosa or Deshaun mm-hmm. Snow or some of those, you know, voices that you haven't heard from as loudly in the Bravo Cinematic Universe. Like I was so thrilled to go back and chat with some of them. I mean, all of the interviews were special in their own way. I mean, I got the impression that Lisa Vanderpump like took the call, but was very much like, okay, would you look at that? My Uber's here. Like I, <laughs> and that's no knock on you. It's just, I think it speaks a lot to her relationship to the show now. You know what I mean? More yeah. so than anything. I mean, listen, I was honored that anyone gave me any time to talk to me. Uh, those who didn't, I was disappointed, but understood mm. and respectful. Um, Lisa was somebody who, really did not want to revisit any of the negativity. And she made it very clear in the multiple conversations that we had leading into doing the book to begin with, because it took her a while to agree to sit down. She talked to me very honestly about that, that she you know, didn't want to go through the mud again. So when I did get her on the phone, officially on the record, um, you know, the conversation needed to remain in a positive place. And anytime that I asked her about things that she may perceive as negative, she did not want to answer those questions. And I have to respect that, right? That's the way she wanted to play it. If she now does her own book where she trashes every single person, that's her prerogative. Like if she does a podcast where she says how she really feels, that's great. But she also feels as though she didn't need to. She feels as though her fans understand her and believe her and there was no reason to revisit it. So some of the voices that you don't hear from that much, Connor, I'll just say that I think that you know exactly what they're saying. <laughs> yes. Yeah, exactly. So obviously, since the book has come out, there is a great fan reaction. Like People have really enjoyed this book. It has been massively successful. But also it has had ripples in Housewives world. It's caused headlines. It's caused reactions from people who are in the book and people who aren't in the book um, in terms of they, you know, didn't want to be interviewed with the book. I mean, I'm thinking, say, for example, of Bethany, who the other New York women go into detail on how they feel she had her role in the show and what she did or didn't do. And she kind of, you know, on Twitter or whatever, came out against what they said, etc. What is it like seeing that reaction once you've put the book out in the world? I mean, is it exciting or is it daunting? How does how does that feel? Oh, I mean, thank you. It, it's it's daunting is, is a good word for it. It's I'm a fan first. Again, I wrote this book for the fans. I wanted it to be something that made the fans happy. I fought at every turn to make sure that things that were included were the things the fans were desperate to know. Uh, and fans of all levels like you are a super fan you know everything Mm -hmm. as far as i'm concerned but there may be things in there that you didn't know whereas somebody who's a more casual viewer may find more things in there that they didn't know so i wanted it to really expand and, and be something for everyone uh, when it came out, I was nervous. Bravo fans are very vicious. They are <laughs> very vocal. And I was concerned that uh, that they wouldn't be satisfied with. But I was really pleasantly surprised by the positive reactions. And seeing it ripple through the Bravo cinematic universe, as I say, has been interesting. I mean, Bethany's certainly felt very strongly about it. And I completely, again, understand. I knew that she would feel that way because that was... Um, you know, verbalized to me during the process of trying to get her to join the book. Uh, and, and, you know, a lot of people have pointed out to me 
some of her inconsistencies in that statement, you know, talking about not wanting to relive things and fly above them and kind of, uh, you know, not wanting to trash other women and then posting things on her Instagram that say otherwise, uh, I understand, you know, but I, I love her and respect her so much. And I listened to her podcast that she did about the book. And I think that, you know, uh, I, I, I were want... you like, she's talking about me. <laughs> no, I mean, that's the thing. Again, when Bethany calls, it's like, oh my God, Bethany's calling me. Like, yeah. I just, yeah, I totally understand. It, it is not about me. It is about their own feelings towards this machine that they were a part of. And I have to just respect them getting there. Now, the biggest ripple, and I mentioned this earlier, Connor, I was gagging when I was watching Ultimate Girls Trip because I had interviewed Teresa right before she went away on that trip. And we, of course, had talked all about Melissa and everything. And then to see her on that trip, bringing up like, oh, she never even told me when she was coming on the show. Yes, Like those are things that we had talked about days earlier. And I had like, I felt a sense of like, I really just put that all back in her brain. <laughs> like she did. hadn't thought you about that did. forever. And now here we were, because <laughs> Melissa even was like, why are we bringing this up again? And I was like, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Teresa's like, I talked to this guy, Jay, right? I got a lot of memories. <laughs> she was having like PTSD flashbacks. And she was like, I got to bring this. That's amazing. You were, and you should have a producer credit on Ultimate Girls. <laughs> I I would love that. Uh, but no, I, you know, production is something that I'm like, maybe now with all this skill set, maybe that's where I should go next. If any yeah. of the Bravo producers want to hire me, I am uh, fully prepared. I have a lot of experience <laughs> talking with these women. I think I know how it works. So maybe that is the next step. <laughs> It's funny you mentioned producers there because actually for me, you mentioned that obviously this book has something for everyone who's into the shows. For me, getting to hear from producers in detail, whether it be someone like, is it Scott Wolf who created the, Oh my God, that name right? No, uh, no Scott Dunlop. Scott Wolf is like the guy from Party of Five. <laughs> he is, yeah. Who's married <laughs> so to the girl from head. the real world. It all comes uh, back to reality too. So, so Scott Dunlop and then, you know, I think someone who really stands out when you read the book and to be fair, has always, I think, stood out to hardcore fans is someone like Carlos King who was instrumental in making Housewives of Atlanta in particular such an iconic uh, front entry into the franchise. What was it like to speak to the producers? Because I'm sure they have lots of tea, but also... It's interesting to me because those are people who are more behind the scenes, who are not usually used to being the subject of interviews. I mean, were they a little more hesitant even when they were being interviewed to open up? I was, they were very hesitant. (laughs) Um, And a lot of them said to me like, wow, I'm not used to being on this side of things. Yeah. Uh, And I did not hold back with any of my questions. I was pretty detailed. Those producer interviews, you have to understand Each one of them, uh, I probably talked to each producer for six, eight hours uh, a pop. I mean, I would go and talk to them. Some of them worked on multiple franchises, so I would have to talk to them multiple times that way. But I really went chronologically through the seasons. My number one question was always about hiring and firing. How? What did you love about this woman? Why did you bring her on? And why did you get rid of her? Uh, And then, of course, some of the bigger things that happened each season. But the producers were my favorite. Now, two of them, uh, Doug Ross and Alex Baskin, who mm-hmm. run Evolution, the production company that does Beverly Hills Housewives and Orange County Housewives, uh, said to me something that has kind of 
then carried over into a lot of the other producers. They were the first to say it. Every time we'd get on the phone, they would be like, we love these conversations because it's fun for us to go back through kind of memory lane and look through these things. So I think that that's ultimately what a lot of the producers were saying by the end. You know, Carlos King and I were just talking yesterday and he was saying how much fun it was to go back and think through the times of even little details like handing the book to Daniel Staub under the table right before she brought it on, you know, up to have that, you know, ultimate moment in Housewives history before (laughs) Teresa flipped the table. Before Teresa flipped the table, Carlos King was under it. Like that, those things, (laughs) those are the details I was gagging over. Yeah. And it's interesting too, because I think in an odd way, people online are like, well, the producers manipulate this and the producers do that. And oddly, I think, your interviews were very in-depth with those producers and showed that, yes, absolutely, they are involved. Like, Carlos was under the table with the book, but also that they actually aren't as heavy-handed as we like to always assume, that they are trying at least uh, trying at least to make the shows feel organic on some level. Yeah, if you if you read the book, you'll, you'll notice that some words that we often use as Housewives fans are not used in the book. And the number one of them is scene. Like, we will refer to things as, oh, remember that scene? Yes. You remember that scene? Yeah. But scene implies that it's a you know staged scripted thing and that is not what this is um i always say the housewife shows are produced they're not scripted nobody hands Mm -hmm. anybody a script and says this is what you need to say and believe me if they did a lot of these people would be much better off (laughs) you know like (laughs) you can really think about the fact that many of them wouldn't fall into as much trouble if they were given the words that they needed to say but producers are staging things in the sense that they're um, scheduling the location, making sure that the restaurant knows that there's cameras there, right? That's all a a setup for the reality to happen. And that's what they're doing. So uh, we made sure not to use the word scenes because they're not true. We made sure not to, um, you know, I really asked if anything was scripted, if anything was ever given and all the producers really don't believe that uh, that they're ever trying to manipulate reality. They're just trying to tell reality as close as it is. What often happens, Connor, is that behind the scenes, the women are telling the truth about how they feel about things. It's the producer's job to get them to open up about that on camera. Some women yes. are much easier than that than others. But, you know, when a story unfolds, they follow it. Um, a great example, again, season 10, Real Housewives of Orange County. No producer, and the producer that season, uh, Bill Langworthy, talks openly about this. No producer would want to to do a storyline when you're creating reality television about cancer and oncology and, you know, uh, scans and all things like that. They're like, this is not fun for people. But that cancer storyline unfolded and they followed it because that was the reality of what they were seeing. So... You couldn't script that. <laughs> no, you can't. And that's, I always say that to particularly people who don't watch. I'm like, if you try to script some of this stuff, you would, you just absolutely wouldn't. And also audiences, particularly now, are so savvy. I think we often say other sh- other reality shows, other people who try and, try and last on the shows, when they start trying to self-produce, you as a viewer go, no, that's not real. I don't like that anymore. No, and you can see the ones that do. Uh, I think the yes. Kardashians are a perfect example. I mean, that show... From what I've heard from every producer, um, 
is much more scripted, is much more uh, planned, that there's much less reality. And when you, you know, it, it doesn't mean that it's not entertaining. It doesn't mean that you're not seeing things, but those women are playing a part in a way that uh, I don't think often happens. Now, it's funny, sometimes in Housewives, the women try to produce themselves, <laughs> but and some are better at it than others. And I think that that really, it's still the reality, right? It's still who they are. They are a person who, Giselle is a perfect example. Everyone talks about, she owns up to being a producer in her own mind. Everyone in the fan audience thinks that she's somebody who uh, deflects away from herself all the time. That's just who she is as a person. So that is the reality of who she is on the show. A lot of the women are like that. Yeah, and that's kind of the beauty of it. I mean, I don't want to get... I'm, I'm going to move away from the book a wee bit just because I want people to actually read it and, and discover <laughs> it for themselves because I know it's been covered quite a bit and there's been headlines, but it's not until you read it that you get the full effect. But one thing I do have to ask about in relation to the book is the launch that you had for it because it was kind of like Andy Cohen's Baby Shower Part 2 because you had everybody at that book launch. What was that like to have so many women who obviously you had interviewed and gotten to know, maybe knew already professionally there. What was it like to have so many housewives from literally across the franchise at your book launch? Well, I've never had a conversation with Andy about that baby shower, but I imagine it's similar to how he <laughs> feels. And I imagine it's uh, it's similar to how one would feel at a wedding. Yes. Where like everywhere I looked were important people in my life, including the housewives and other Bravo celebrities like Kate Chastain was there, Gage Edward, lots of, you know, people from across the Summer House cast. Like it was so fun to sort of be in that space. It was like a mini little Bravo con. But I was thrilled. I mean, I wanted to do a launch party for the book. And uh, so I started planning one with contacts that I had. And we created, I think, a really fun event where everyone could be together. And then after the event to see headlines about it in page six, yes, like I, I was, was just say. like, I mean, I'm it's like a joy. Of, I mean, <laughs> I, I don't. I just was living my best life at that moment and flooded my Instagram page with photos of it because I was just so unbelievably um, joyful about being in that space with all of those people. It was and wild. I, I mean, when you were there on the night and like there's dozens of housewives there and like you kind of know all the women are there. Like, how did you make sure that you got a moment with everybody? Because that's like a lot of people to make sure you say hello to in one evening. Yeah, and the party was only like two hours. So it, it oh was gosh. a it was a oh very quick cocktail party uh, or maybe three hours. But we um, – so the best way that I did that was I, I – um, I ran around and said my hellos as fast as I could. And then I also uh, did some introductions because some people didn't know one another. So like Dorinda, for example, said to me, oh, if, is Ebony going to be here? I really want to meet her. So I like brought <gasps> Ebony over and introduced the two of them. I introduced Ebony to Candace Diller. They hadn't met before. Um, so I wanted to make sure they had some time together. They're both mm -hmm. like pint size. They're both like little, <laughs> little <laughs> small, beautiful women. So I was excited to see them together. Um, and then like just a lot of them knew one another. Some were avoiding one another as we later heard. Also yes. Leanne and DeAndre were both there, but you know, none of them received a dime to show up to that party. None of them asked for hotel fees or glam squads or wow. flights. A lot of, they all came in on their own. A lot were also scheduled to come in. I think Gina Kirschenheider and Emily Simpson and 
uh, Tamara had talked about it once as Shannon, like people were going to come on in for it, but it was just really overwhelming that that many people wanted to be a part of it. Um, and I, I'm glad that we did it because it was like in that sweet spot before COVID now has yes. again <laughs> riled Ramped its ugly head. So it was mm-hmm. it was nice to be in a place where uh, you felt safe. I'm also just thrilled like that you went ahead with it because us as fans, we got all those amazing images of women from different cities side by side and like all those stories. I was like, for us, it was a gift. I was like, this this is a, a gift for everybody. Oh, I was absolutely thrilled. Heather Dubrow was in town and she didn't come. I was so bummed because she was like right there, but it, it could have been so much bigger. I really do think, you know, initially BravoCon was supposed to be happening that yes. weekend. So initially the book launch would have been much bigger because we would have had BravoCon. It would have all been a part of it, but uh, yeah. I'm thrilled that we were able to stage a mini little BravoCon at the same time. And Bravo was yes. so supportive. I'm so glad that they, uh, really, you know, didn't defer me from doing any of that because they were like, yeah, if you want to do it, do it. So it was a, it was a cool thing that I was able to put together. And this isn't qu- like this wasn't the book launch. And I know it wasn't it was more of a personal thing, but I know you post a picture of it online. I, I not I think not long after the book came out, you spent like a weekend in the Berkshires. I know Dorinda was there. I think Carol was there. I mean, and I have so many. And had, that's what I knew there was somebody else. I was trying to remember the other person. Um. I have so many questions. My main one, though, is I just want to know what is it like to be in the Berkshire's house? Because to me, that's like being on the Central Park set if you're a Friends fan. I mean, that is an iconic location. When you're in the house, are you like, I can't believe I'm actually in the Berkshire's house? <laughs> it felt like I was going to Jerusalem. Do you know what I mean? For like a, for a Bravo <laughs> fan, it was that sort of experience. A holy sight, yes. <laughs> yeah, it was so, it was unbelievable. Um, Dorinda has long invited me to come see her and I've always been a bit of a brat about it because I don't own a car and it's far and that's Mm -hmm. a lot of time on public transportation. And, you know, I've always had other things going on the book, especially COVID then hit, like it just, it wasn't the right time to make Mm -hmm. that sort of a journey, but it just ended up happening. She invited me up. It was Halloween weekend. Of course, I thought it was the perfect time to be there. And I had, and and Carol Razowell was driving. (laughs) So I was like, oh, Carol's driving? I'm down. Let's do this. <laughs> Another 12-hour um, chat with Carol. <laughs> exactly. For the most part, right? Eight hours and back and forth for each way. But we just had a blast. And I mean, that was an incredible weekend. I, just being there, seeing it all in person. The thing I'll say about Dorinda is that she's so deliberate in every single thing that she has done in that house. So mm. every tchotchke on the wall... Uh, or on the shelf rather has been specifically picked out and has meaning and it's a collected warm house and it comes alive at different times of the day. Like it's totally different in the morning as it is in the evening. And Dorinda is just such a warm, loving sort of spirit in that space. So it's really fun to be there. I viewed it as a museum. Um, yeah. At one point, <laughs> I slept, the, you know, I spent the night and then somebody came into my room and was like, Did, were you even in this room? Because I like perfectly put it back together. I was like, <laughs> I'm not, I'm not messing up Dorinda's beautiful no, house. <laughs> it, it is just gorgeous. And uh, of course, I heard all the secrets about the new show. So yeah, you'll see that not everybody treated that house that way. And I think it's going to be really fun. Yeah, of course, because we're hearing that, like, I guess the second Ultimate Girlship, I'll shortly build differently, is set in Dorinda's Berkshire's home, which, again, just 
genius because that does feel like such an iconic location. I can't wait to see. I can't wait to see more. I just would watch that house on camera all day. As you said, it's full of details. So I'm so excited to see it again on our screens. I know, me too. And I, I, I hope that Peacock, you know, which I think I think most of those shows are all being developed in the same sort of group. Like the, I think that yeah. now, from what I understand, NBC, and I could be wrong, but is developing shows and then finding out where they're going to go. So it could be on Bravo or mm-hmm. it could be on Peacock. But I hope if they do this again in Ultimate Girls Trip 3, uh, I want to go to Scary Island again. Like, don't you think oh, Return yes. to Scary Island would be... Wouldn't you watch that? It would be amazing. Yeah. It's such a great title. Even just as a title, you'd want to watch that. Yeah, Return to Scary And they should reunite everybody. <laughs> Bring Alex oh, McCord and Bethany and Sonia and Kelly Ben Simone back. I would I'd pay good money to see that. Yeah, same. I would pay through the nose for that one. <laughs> This podcast is sponsored by Hey You, which is the home of the housewives. Every season and every episode of all of the real housewives is available to stream or download right now on Hey You. And it is the only place you will get new episodes the same day as the US. No spoilers here because we are getting stuck straight in thanks to Hey You. You can start a free trial now at HeyU.com. And after that, it's only $5.99 per month, which is like the price of a cup of coffee. And there's no commitments. You can cancel whenever you want. Everything you could need housewives-wise is on Hey You. I want to just briefly get into some of the stuff that we've talked quite a bit already, but like what's going on with the shows at the moment as they're airing. I'm curious what you're thinking about OC so far. It's been kind of given something of a reboot and obviously they're filming under different circumstances after a season that was really impacted by COVID and they've brought back Heather. Are you enjoying this kind of new take on OC? Do you think it needs a bit more time to get going? I mean, personally, I've really enjoyed it, but I'm curious how you feel about it. Yeah, I think that Heather uh, never should have left in the first place. I think that she was a great housewife all the way through. It's funny that fans were so excited. and Bravo fans are so fickle. They were so excited about her return. And then after, I think, uh, you know, an episode a couple of weeks ago, they were all like, oh, she's the worst. So it's like, you all forget, you know, you could be loved and hated in a second. You all forget why uh, she is. I think she's an incredible character, uh, can be both a hero and a villain. And yeah. it's fun to kind of root for her and sometimes, you know, roll your eyes at her. But she has a good sense of humor at herself. And that's what I really love about Heather. I'm glad she's back. I would have, uh, you know, from what I heard when they were thinking about kind of rebooting the show, they were uh, exploring all options. They were exploring getting rid of everybody and starting completely fresh. They were exploring, you know, bringing other housewives back like Megan King or even Joe De La Rosa. Mm -hmm. I mean, there were open talks with various sorts of uh, combinations. I think Heather was a, a, a good choice. I do think that Tamara Judge should come back. I think that she's an incredible yeah. housewife and is so instrumental in uh, that show that it's kind of missing her. I would love, yeah. you know, if there were more women, uh, more new mm. women. I think that uh, Noella and Dr. Jen are good additions, but I would have loved like four new women um, or even more friends. If you watch Miami, I don't know if you've been able to see it yet, but Miami has so many voices on that show, both new voices and old voices, that it feels really exciting. And there's lots of friends of who are kind of in the mix. And it feels just like it has 
a lot of life to it. So uh, I, I think OC has done a great job of kind of getting back on track, but I would push them to even bring in more characters because I think the more the merrier. Yeah, and I think you've hit the nail on the head with Heather in that I actually think, I think we thought she would be the main character and we'd all like her, but I enjoy that she's actually not always the nice person because really what it is, it's a Bethany thing of she's a big presence and seeing how the other women orbit around her is fascinating. I mean, particularly Shannon's like response to her this season has been so interesting because Shannon is ready to kiss the ring and Heather is like, I'm going to make you beg for my attention. Like, it's fascinating. Well, one of the things that I think was so interesting, and I learned this through the book and doing these interviews, is that a lot of producers believe that Heather Dubrow just didn't like Shannon to begin with when Shannon joined mm-hmm. in season nine. And that that is kind of one of those things like Heather just didn't like her and it led to a lot of their conflict. But when Heather left the show, she and Shannon were seemingly friends, right? They they were mm-hmm. in a good place. They had made up after season nine and looked to be uh, you know, on one another's side. So I think that Shannon came into the season being like, oh, Heather's back. We're friends again. And I think that the truth of Heather not, or possible truth of Heather not really liking Shannon this whole time is what we're seeing. Like, I don't think that she really ever liked Shannon and is kind <laughs> of like torturing her a little bit in this way, which is which is fun TV and good to see. You know, Heather yeah. is a straight shooter in many ways, but she's also pretty polite. And uh, I don't think she's necessarily being honest about her feelings about Shannon to begin with in this sense. Uh, so it's, I don't know, it, it, I'm interested to see how it all plays out. Yeah, I mean, the text message scene alone was one of the best <laughs> things I've ever seen. I was like, this, I was like, she's earned her check just for this scene alone. You mentioned um, Miami there briefly. I mean, I am a little bit of a fake fan that I've never watched the original seasons for shame, but I just dove in with this new one just to see if as a newcomer it would connect with me because I knew there'd be kind of returning faces and new faces. I've really enjoyed it. I mean, it's sort of a sign that you can actually go back to a city and revive it and it can work, particularly in the streaming era. I mean, do you think it's kind of lived up to the... Because there's been fans who have campaigned for this to come back for years. I mean, do you think it's living up to expectations? I definitely think so. Um, I, I am thrilled by it. It shows that distance can actually be a really good thing. And I'm happy to see that shows yeah. like um, uh, this season, even Orange County, but Atlanta has done it now. New York is on a bit of a hiatus. Like sometimes it's good to take a pause. And they've done it before. Mm. New York took a big pause before. It's like sometimes yeah. it's good to take a pause and just kind of let things settle and then let these women live a bit of a life because it's really hard to ask these women to live six months of, uh, you know, to film for six months and have that really be like six years of their lives, like pack in as many things uh, as they can. It's really difficult. So it can be exhausting year after year. And I think Miami burned out pretty quickly being away from it for a while. They've lived lives and there's interesting things. I mean, Alexia shows up with a a, a suitcase <laughs> full of storylines, none yeah. of them having anything to do with launching a business. It's it's beautiful to watch. And I wish that more and more housewives could see that like just living a life and, and doing those sorts of things is far more interesting and exposing, you know, the cameras to your family is far more interesting than just, you know, launching your newest idea for fame. Very true. And I also think what you said there about them kind of living life there is a richness to it and also it i mean and i don't know if they're just 
being savvy and, and good TV characters, if you will. But like, you do get the sense that some of these women have stayed in each other's lives when they weren't filming. So even me as a newcomer, I'm like, oh, there's a, an established relationship with some of these characters. Or when Lars is back in town, you can tell that they knew Lars when, and that has added this layer even with the new people coming in, you can tell, like, it, it's just, re- it feels very rich already, and they're only really a handful of episodes in. Yeah, for sure. And a lot of that, you know, um, I, I would point to the original producer of The Real Housewives of Miami, uh, Sherry Marufakini, I believe is how I say her last name, but she is just an incredible producer. And she really put that cast together in the beginning, in season one, uh, through the help of Leah Black. And that's where Alexia and Adriana and Marisol and a lot of these mm-hmm. relationships were kind of pulled together. And then Nate Green and Matt Anderson from Purveyors of Pop came in in season two and three and really elevated the show in an incredible way. And, you know, that show wasn't originally a housewife show. So when Sherry was putting yes. it together, the thought was like they were trying to find some sort of connective tissue to make it makes sense. And I think they were all like doing cooking classes at each other's homes and throwing cooking parties. And it just, but she saw it. She, you know, getting Larsa to sign on that first season was a huge get. We forget Larsa was a huge get in the beginning. And now to have her back, I think uh, is really giving the show a little bit of spice. So I'm so glad I think they all should be so proud of what they created. Yeah, it's definitely, I mean, I've been saying to people who haven't watched the early season, I might just jump in. It is so much fun. Um, obviously, in your book, you covered like so many shows. But the only city you didn't really get to talk about was Salt Lake City just because of the time it when it aired and when you had to do interviews. But now that we're quite far into the second season of Salt Lake City and it it's been really explosive. How do you think it fits into the overall Housewives world? And what have you made of this second season that has been just full of revelations? I mean, this second season is so good. Yeah, we didn't cover Mm. Salt Lake City because uh, they only had, at that point, uh, one season out. And it didn't feel like there were many secrets to uncover. Um, Mm -hmm. uh, Though I can't wait to write that next book because there's so much good stuff. (laughs) You know, what's interesting about it is that typically in a housewife show, now they come in knowing what the the game is. They know... Mm you know, how the structure works, how the format works, they understand in a different way than I think any of the original cast of Atlanta or New York or OC really knew. Even Beverly Hills had some idea of kind of what this was, but Mm -hmm. have now really, I think, uh, we're, we're, we're still even in those early days figuring it out and have now, of course, only gotten to the point where they know exactly how to do it. Mm. But uh, Salt Lake City, they really, really, you know, new coming in what it could be. And I think what's interesting is season two, I, I don't know about you, but like there doesn't seem to be any alliances. Like the, it, they're shifting yeah. from moment to moment. It only seems that Heather and Whitney have remained on one another's side, but like all of a sudden Meredith and Lisa are fighting and then Meredith and Jen is yeah. fighting and then Meredith, you know, uh, is close with Mary, but now she's fighting with Mary, and now Mary is fighting with Jenny, and Mary is also fighting with uh, with Jen. And like I, I don't know where anyone is going to wind up. I mean, the reunion might as well just be a circle because <laughs> there's no sides, right? Like Andy right yeah. in the middle. Like there doesn't seem to be any sides. So I'm absolutely enthralled by it all. It's fascinating, and it's I suppose like you mentioned earlier on, 
kind of like on season 10 of OC, a storyline kind of fell into, not into their lap, but something was happening in real life that they followed. And you do get the sense that the show was going in one direction to follow, say, maybe sort of about Mary. And then all this Jen stuff has sort of unfolded while they were just going about their business effectively. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, the Jen stuff is really compelling. It's interesting how the audience has treated her so differently than say Erica. I mean, I, yeah. I keep thinking a, a lot about that, how the audience has really gone after Erica, who is not charged of any crime and, uh, and said that she is guilty in the court of public opinion and really just villainized her for, you know, uh, whether rightfully so or not, I, I'm just saying, you know, that's not me to say, it's just, that's how they've treated mm. her, but they haven't treated Jen that way, you know, and they've mm. like, They've almost seen her as a bit of a victim, even though she is the one who's being charged with a federal crime and the FBI has been investigating her for, for years. Yeah, so, which is why I do find it slightly funny when they go on these like subplots on the show. Like, well, I think so-and-so in our group called the feds. I'm like, I just don't think the FBI said, hey, Mary, can I get that? I'm like, I think their investigation was probably sufficient. Like, they keep implying that the women have called the feds on Jen. And I'm like, I just don't think that happened somehow. I, I agree with you. I do not think that the women have called the feds on her. <laughs> But I mean, I'd love if they did, but I just, whenever they do that, I'm like, guys, it's the feds. Like they don't need, they don't need you guys helping out on this. No, but I, but I mean, I love that each episode they're like, what did Mary know? What did Meredith know? (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I, I, I do want, and I hope the reunion is taping really soon. And I, uh, this week actually, and I do hope that they sit down and give me a play by play of that I, I think they need to bring a producer out. Like, I want to hear everything about that arrest. Mm. <laughs> oh, every, I'd watch three hours on the arrest alone. That yeah. is for sure. I still have and, questions. Like, I want to know who really was on the phone with her on the other end. Oh, yes, my God. And also the way, like, I'm sorry, I know it's been brought up, but it still shocks me the way <laughs> Jen had got this news about Sharif had internal bleeding and she relayed it like she was just commenting on the weather outside. I gotta go. Sharif isn't, you know, oh, it's cold today. I'm like, I'm sorry. Like, you don't seem particularly perturbed by this news about your husband. Right. So if she was, uh, if she did, she doesn't, she claims that she didn't make this up, right? So it's like, if she was told that on the phone, why are you so calm about it? And if you did make it up, (laughs) how is that the first thing you thought about? Like, I mean, we've all probably said like, oh, my grandma's dying. Like, I can't do my homework, right? (laughs) Uh, You know, when we were in like middle school or whatever. Very that. Yeah. yeah. But like, this is, it was very, it felt like that. Like, oh my God. (laughs) And you're right. The Erica Jen dynamic. I I mean, I've said this kind of briefly with guests on the show recently, like that I think part of it is we, we as viewers have spent longer with Erica. So we have rightly or wrongly more of a, a sense of we feel we know her and I wonder is that part of it but also yeah I mean you've interviewed Eric I'm sure you've met her like do you think that's just that kind of quote-unquote coldness that some people read as one thing and it's just like is it just her manner is different to Jen is it just something as simple as they conduct themselves differently on camera I don't know what it is uh personally I think I I think that our culture looks at women in a very uh, small box and they expect women Mm -hmm. to act a certain way all the time. And somebody like Erica responds very differently to things than other women tend to. She's not somebody who is particularly um, 
uh, outwardly emotional. I, I think that she is a little bit more of a guarded human. I think that she's a little bit more intentional with uh, who she feels like she can open up to and a little bit more uh, distrustful of people to begin with. And that doesn't make her bad. That just makes her different. And I think yeah. all of those qualities are things that people view as therefore um bad and and they tend to criticize her for she's cold she's calculating she's mean but like they're not bad things it's just who she is and the life that she's led and the person and the personality traits that she has so when i hear people be like well wouldn't you respond to it this way i often wonder like how much of that is wrapped into a patriarchal society and how we believe women should be behaving themselves like maybe we should give her a little bit more grace yeah that's a fair point i mean like i go back and forth there have been times where i felt like her reaction to certain people felt outsized and then when it came to stuff that you would think on paper would make any person react a certain way she's been the opposite but also i suppose as as the book actually illustrates quite well it's very easy for us as viewers to go well i wouldn't do that in that situation but the beauty of these shows is actually seeing how people react in the situation that's the point because none of us really know what it's like we're not in their shoes and the way them reaction the way we don't want them to is kind of what makes housewives so great in a weird way totally and connor i don't know about you but like man i (laughs) i would not want to be in any of their shoes i think it's like so difficult to put your life up for the court of public opinion so when i see somebody like erica And again, stripping away what she allegedly did or didn't do or anything, just seeing her as somebody, as a a character on TV, going through what she's going through, the fact that she showed up to every different Mm. time that the camera was there, that that she appeared, that she didn't run away, that she stood her ground, like... I don't know. That was good television as just a viewer. And like, there are parts of her that I relate to when she said, I am thinking about, I'm keeping track of every single person who stood by (laughs) me and who didn't. I was like, damn straight. You are. I am too. (laughs) So if, if someone, you know, didn't buy the book, you were like, Lindale, remember who didn't buy my book. And I'll remember. And I'm coming for you. That was you, Christmas. When you're that was exactly me. I was like, oh, it's interesting. I invited you to my book party and you never posted about it. Oh, good to know. Good to know. But don't we all do that? I mean, how many people, everybody in their life keeps track to some extent of where their friends yeah. are, how they're reacting to them, you know, who is there for them yeah. in their time of need. So that felt real. And, and you know, some of her frustration and the way that she reacted at the reunion, that was great television she's yeah i think she's a great star and i'm glad she's back this season i can't wait to see what she brings to the table yeah i mean they're back filming beverly hills now and the reports were that they kind of went pretty much straight into filming post reunion where usually there is tends to be something of a, of a break or even over a few weeks have you heard anything that you can tell us about how filming is going or have the alliance changed or is it too early to actually say what might be going down with the women? Oh no, I've heard it all. <laughs> oh honey, it's, I had a feeling. <laughs> it's, it's really good. I mean, I don't, I, I try to keep their secrets because uh, of course. first of all, that's how I built these relationships, but yes. also because as a viewer, like I want to just experience it for the first time, but I've heard that there's been some surprising, um, uh, there's been some surprising disagreements. Uh, people mm-hmm. who are genuinely aligned have not necessarily turned on each other for good, but have gotten into disagreements and arguments. Um, I've heard that uh, there's 
you know, great energy with the two new women who have joined one as a friend and one as a full-time cast member and that they're bringing a lot. And, you know, the thing about Beverly Hills, I will say they all show up to work and every housewife that I've spoken to across the various franchises who watched Beverly Hills have been like, they all showed up to work. I think that you can say the same about the real housewives of Potomac. They do their jobs. They show up to work. Um, you're not seeing anybody on that cast saying, I refuse to film with this person. Like they're all doing their jobs. And I, I love that about the Potomac women. I think the Jersey women do their jobs. They show up to work. I don't think that the New York women showed up to work this season. And I think that's why it was so challenging. Yes. (laughs) And I, to put it mildly. (laughs) Yeah. And I think that, um, I, I think that you should take note of the women who are doing their job. And that's, that's the sort of energy that I want to see for my housewives work, come to work. This is a job and you're, you're, yeah. you are hired to live your life out loud. And there, this job sucks. Sometimes it's not all diamonds and rosé pun intended. It's not all diamonds and rosé, but you know, it, you got to do the work and that's what I want yeah. for my housewife. You mentioned the Potomac cast there, who I would agree with. I think they are like MVPs in a, in a massive way. And I know that you hung out with them after they filmed the most recent reunion. I mean, I know you probably have relationships with them from work and that kind of thing. But what's it like to hang out with Housewives after a reunion? Because that's such a big day for those women. And I'm sure they're all full of adrenaline and probably also exhausted. It's like I would imagine hanging out with football players after the Super Bowl. Like, what was that like? <laughs> to just be like, OK, girls, how was the reunion? <laughs> OK, so. The most interesting thing, because I've spent time with a lot of the women after their reunions um, across various franchises, uh, because many of them are filmed in New York. So they come to New York and it's like, and then, you know, I'm a friend of theirs in New York. So we meet up together and they want to debrief. The thing that always surprises me is that I think that after, and I'll say this specifically about the Potomac women, I think that after filming a reunion for 12, 14 hours, one would be exhausted but these yeah. women, will you believe it? They all go and get changed into equally glamorous looks and then go out. Like I, I met up with Candace and Ashley and Wendy at a bar. They were all done up in totally different looks. Like wow. I, I was shocked. I would have put sweatpants on, but yeah. they were like, I would have oh. stayed in the outfit and been like, oh, it's been good enough the last 12 hours. Right. Exactly. Get another two. Right. No, they, <laughs> they change out of those gowns and they put on equally glamorous uh-huh. looks and go hang out. And they were all in really good spirits. And, you know, here was Candace and Ashley and Wendy all hanging out together, posing for pictures, talking. But like, wow. did you see this, the reunion? They were all fighting with each other at the reunion. Yeah. So it really shows that they know, you know, that they can move on easily and that they know how to work together. Yeah, I would love to be. I just, to be a fly in the wall at reunions, one thing, but I think to be a fly in the wall post reunion that evening, I just think that would be so fascinating. Well, it was especially good because all I wanted to, I mean, the Nikki news was huge. Yes. So I had heard about the Nikki news when Nikki showed up on set, I got a text message from somebody in the universe uh, who was there saying, <laughs> oh my God, Nikki is here. And I think I tweeted something out like, there needs to be a live feed of the Potomac reunion right now because I knew how good mm-hmm. it was. I didn't think they would break the Nikki news on social media later that evening. You know, I thought that they would hold it for you know a couple of yeah. days or, or something like that. But I'm glad that they did break it because the fan base went so wild. And of course, Mm. when the women showed up, I was just like, tell me everything about working with Nikki. Like, I want to know everything. So they were filling me in. There was a lot more than I think that 
any of us saw to that Nikki thing. And she really, I was nervous she was coming after, you know, some of my favorite ladies. Like I was like, oh, did she go after this one or this one? But I was told yeah. that she just, she read everyone the, the filth down, <laughs> which yes. I love. Oh, I, that was Because I remember, I mean, look, I really enjoyed the season of Potomac, but when they did kind of say a four part reunion, I know some fans are like, do we need four parts? And once I realized we were getting a Nikki led episode, I was like, we needed the four parts. They made it the right decision with this. Yeah. And now I want them to do like, I mean, I think that they've, They've now opened a door that they can't shut. So if Rihanna wants to host the Beverly Hills yeah. reunion, if yeah. you know Jennifer Lawrence wants to host the New York reunion, let's do it. Yeah, absolutely. Andy can have some more tequila side of stage and let some yeah. celebrity do their thing for an era. I'm fine with that. Yeah, he's certainly earned the break. He's fine. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Jersey is back in really in a few weeks, I suppose. Yeah. There's been a lot of conversation about this season and the women themselves. I mean, I always find the kind of preseason hype from the women so interesting, but they've kind of implied that this season has almost the energy of the early days of Jersey in terms of fights and interactions. I mean, have you heard anything, with, obviously without spoiling it, more just in general, Has do you think that's the case, that we're in for an explosive Jersey season? Yes, uh, this is going to be an intense season. There's so much that hasn't come out yet. I will say the Jersey women are very good at staying tight-lipped. Um, mm -hmm. A lot of the other housewives will actually call up the press and want the press to write about things and leak yeah. storylines out there to various bloggers and things like that. The Jersey women keep things pretty tight because uh, they don't want any of it out there. So I'm lucky enough to be in a circle where I've heard about these things, but you yeah. know, I, of course, again, would never spill it. I, I think there's a lot of major things that are going to happen and I'm excited to see it all go down. And Tracy Johnson, who uh, is that Tracy Johnson, who's married to Tiki Barber, who's the new friend of. Um, yes, she is in a lot of it. So like she's going to be around in all of she's at every party at every major uh, filming that they were doing. And I think she's really going to pop. You guys are going to love her. Yeah, I'm excited. I, I mean, it is just fascinating. that They've kept their core cast for so many seasons now, and I'm not bored or upset by that i'm like yes absolutely we don't need to mess with this dynamic it is fascinating right and connor you know like i think that that's a problem that a lot of the housewives franchises um mm. ma make is that they don't really let the relationships build you had jennifer and jackie now joined this group four or five years ago but they've yeah. really built friendships like Jackie and Melissa and Margaret and Dolores are all very close. They spend time together. Mm. They talk together. They, you know, if you follow them on social media, they are together a lot. And that's yeah. a real, those are real friendships. Like that friendship has grown into something concrete. Even, mm -hmm. you know, I, people hate her. I know, but Teddy and Teddy and Kyle are real friends. Like they have a real yeah. friendship and they met on the show and maybe weren't real friends the first two seasons, right? They were getting to know each other, but now they have a depth of friendship. So when Teddy shows up to a filming, it's not because she's thirsty for the camera. It's because her real friend yeah. wants her to be there for this real thing. Yeah. And I, I appreciate that they've allowed that to happen in Jersey. I wish that they did that more. I wish that they gave more, not that some of these one season housewives don't deserve to be one season housewives, but if you yeah. let them stick around a little bit longer, it's interesting to see those friendships really build. For sure. And I mean, I think you're giving me the kind of like hints I like where it's like, you're giving me an idea of the tone of a forthcoming season without ruining anything. So one more, because I didn't even think to ask this originally, but I might as well while we're here. 
Atlanta's back filming. They took a little bit of a break. We, we're hearing like Marlo full-time housewife. Uh, Sheree is back. I mean, is that the same? Are you hearing good things about Atlanta and what's gone down so far? Obviously without spoiling or is it too early to say? Because they've, I feel like they took a bit of a hit last season. But when you think about it, it still wasn't that bad. Like really, Atlanta's always at such a high bar, you know, when it comes to storylines and drama. Well, listen, I don't want to fall into the Andy Cohen trap of like saying that everything (laughs) is going to be great and then it's not. Yeah. Um, With Jersey, I know that there are like major twists and storyline coming that like most people Mm -hmm. don't know about. And I'm also very well aware. um, I'm also very well aware that. um, Sorry, I, I, I think with Jersey, like there's going to be things that are going to be controversial to fans and that's like a good debate which i love yeah with atlanta from what i what i can tell you is that they have a new showrunner and that showrunner has worked in um potomac for a long time he's like the guy who's done the real house of potomac for a while so i -hmm. think they have the right person at the helm um, and I'm excited to see what they can do. I do think that the producers are viewing this season as a bit of a make or break. I do think that they yeah. are really trying to make sure that it's packed full of stuff. And I think that Kenya's time on Dancing with the Stars um, may have softened her a little bit more to audiences. So I'm excited to see what a season of Kenya without Portia will look like. Because yeah. um, they always really never got along and and that negativity even when you're filming something light i think is challenging because you know that other person doesn't like you so even if you're trying to like make peace with them there's always that feeling of like when are they going to screw me over i don't think Mm. you're going to have that this year i hadn't thought of that and i mean just from girls trip i i always like kenny even when she's a villain i think she's great at it but i really thought girls trip was underlining what a just a fantastic tv star she is not that it needs to be underlined but it definitely reminded me oh i mean she is what's that phrase like she she uh understands the assignment she wrote yeah. the assignment i feel like i mean kenya just <laughs> she assigned the assignment she assigned the assignment she just she knows how to turn uh a scene into and again i, I use that colloquially but she knows how to turn something into what it needs to be you know there's this great mm-hmm. story um that I gathered when I was working on the book. Uh, and it was from Bill Fritz, who is a producer over in Orange County. And he talked about the first time that Heather Dubrow joined the show and she did a, um, a dinner with Tamara and they were sitting together and it was like Heather, Heather's opportunity to really kind of let Tamara know who she is. And Heather sat yeah. there and told a story about something. And apparently Tamara, you know, heard something that Heather said, took that moment turned it around, got, uh, you know, emotional about it, cried or yelled, maybe walked away from the table. Like, and he said that it was such a lesson of like, okay, Heather, you may be the actress, but I'm the reality star. And let me show you how it's done. Like, let me show you how to take something and turn it into something else. And that's Mm. what Tamara's always been good at living her life loud and on in front of the camera. And I think Kenya's the same way. And the Bolo situation is a perfect example. Like, Kenya was like, this is a television show. This is our job. We're on a work trip and I'm going to make this into what it needs to be because nothing else has been going on this season. And I know well enough that I need to turn (laughs) this into, you know, like I need to, and by the way, if I were the one having sex with Bolo and someone else in my room, y'all would do this about me. So like all's fair in love and 
housewives. And I, uh, <laughs> I appreciate that about her. She's just very, I look for those sorts of housewives. Like I think Teddy was the same way. Teddy always, you know, I know people think she was boring, but look at the seasons that she was on. Every conflict had to do with her. She made things happen. Um, hmm. whether you like them or not. And I appreciate that about the workers, uh, <laughs> the yeah. worker bees, the worker bees. <laughs> Cause there are various housewives serve various roles. Giselle is always stirring things up, making things happen. Yeah. And then someone like Candace is a reactor. You know, she's not somebody who's bless yes. her heart. I wish she was more calculated, but she does. She doesn't know how to play chess. She knows how to throw the mm. chessboard at you. You know, like she just yeah. like is a reactor and you need, mix of all those women i look at it very scientifically connor can't you tell <laughs> no i mean i think um, having written the book on it quite literally i would imagine you have a much clearer view of the kind of archetypes that or archetypes they almost create for themselves i mean that's kind of the magic of it really yeah it's and it's you need that mix like for every person who yeah. will say i don't like this housewife because she's boring i'm like there needs to be the Robin Dixon's and yeah. uh, Dolores Catania's of the world in in those shows because they have something that the other women don't show often, which is heart, you know, and mm. kindness and compassion, and like they ground a lot of these storylines. Um, so yeah, there needs to be a mix for sure. For sure, and I, I we're gonna wrap up soon because I'm aware I've taken up a lot of your time. I have just a couple more quick questions. This one I feel like you probably get asked this all the time, and I feel like maybe even writing the book you thought of different ideas for this one. But as we talk now at the start of 2022, what would your housewife's tagline be and why? Oh, I mean, I, <laughs> the tagline that I, I, I created for myself and love to come back to is I may be a writer, but I can read a bitch. Yeah, that's that's classic. That's that is just, it's good. It's so could good. Could work any season. Memorable <laughs> would be quoted back at you if someone saw you in the street. That's a strong tagline. <laughs> Thank you so much. It's the it's the one that I'm most comfortable with. <laughs> this one, I'm I I think you're gonna have fun with because in a way, <laughs> you've gotten to know these women more than almost anyone. Is you're throwing a dinner party tomorrow. You can have five people over. They can be housewives, friends of, husbands, hangers-on, whoever, from the Bravo Cinematic Universe, if you will. What five people are you calling up to come over? Oh and it could be your friends. I don't mind whoever you think will be good. Oh, well, okay. I, uh, oh my goodness. Okay. I'm going to invite Candace Dillard because she makes me laugh so hard. I mean, mm-hmm. we were on the phone the other day for two hours, uh, not recorded, just a two-hour kiki. Wow. She just is so hilarious. Um, I don't even think we've really even talked about the show. And she just like she just her perspective on life is really, really funny. So she cracked me up. Mm-hmm. So I would have Candace. Um, I would have Dorinda because she provides yeah. such incredible life advice. And every once in a while, Dorinda will just say things that I sit there with my mouth agape, like, how did you think of that? You know, or like, why is that wisdom deep inside you? She'll be like, well, my mother used to always say, and then like throw out this line that I'm like, oh my goodness. So yeah, Dorinda is a great party guest. Uh, I would want her to be there. Okay. All right. Two down. Um, now I'm trying to think <laughs> of like the mix, like who would get along with those yeah. sorts of women um, yeah. or what would it be? Okay. Well, I would, um, I would invite Margaret Josephs because her and Dorinda, I know are friends and Margaret has the gift okay. of gab. The gift of gab is an important thing. You need somebody who's going to be a big mm-hmm. old gossip at the table. Um, so she is 
who I'm bringing now. I'm kind of going franchise by franchise, but that's working. Um, yeah, I would, I would invite Tamara because okay. I think that, uh, she could turn up a little bit <laughs> in that mix. Yeah. So let's bring Tamara. And then I, you know who I really love? Um, I, I see, I want to bring Nini because I think that she would be hilarious as well, but I, I just don't think she would come. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm going to try and go with a guarantee who I think would come. I would invite, um, I would invite Kenya. I just think Kenya, mm. Kenya is much lighter when you're one-on-one with her. Like she has a lot more fun. And I think in that environment with those people, she would really enjoy herself. I, I would pay so much money to see Tamara and Kenya interact. <laughs> I, I would just sit there with my hands in my, my face in my hands and go, whatever you want to do, girls, whatever you want to do is fine by me. They would really get along, I have to say. You know, Tamara and Leanne Locke yeah. can get along. I introduced them and they like had such a fun time. Tamara is one of the most open, like cool, chill girls that I know. Like I love her so much. She's so funny. Um, she really, really cracks me up. Yeah, that's a. I knew you wouldn't have any problems coming up with a, a killer guest list for dinner party. <laughs> that's that's just this one. We'll see. Um, I just kept it to housewives because there's so many people outside. Like if you guys don't follow her on Twitter, like Kate Chastain is also one of the funniest human beings I've ever spoken to in mm. my life. She is so witty and so hilarious that she kind of needs to be there. Yeah, she can pop in. If there's a blow deck one, she would lead the table. Um, before we wrap, I mean, I know the book is widely available in the US and people can get it on places like Amazon and Book Depository. But do you know if there's any plans for the book to be released in other countries or the territories? I mean, maybe not. Housewives is a little bit niche outside of the US, but have you heard anything in that vein? I've heard absolutely nothing. And I have to say, it's mm-hmm. like... I feel horrible because people come all the time to ask me that question. Like, Hey, what's going on? How do I get it in this country? And I literally don't know. I think I've even asked you like, Connor, how did you get it? So I can tell people, (laughs) Yeah, yeah. (laughs) I really, really don't know. But I, um, I would just say that if you know anybody internationally, who's gotten it, ask them. Um, and if you have more questions, your best resource is really, um, the publisher. So you can follow them on, um, on Instagram, of course, Andy Cohen Books uh, is the imprint, but you can ask them via uh, DM and maybe they will be able to help you. It's Henry Holt Publishers. Before we go, if people want to find you on social media and go back and relive those amazing photos from the launch <laughs> with every housewife ever, where can they do that? Um, I'm on social media at the handle Nine Daves, N I N E D A V E S. Uh, and you can find me on Instagram and Twitter, both of those handles. I'm uh, just in nine different places at all times. So that's uh, <laughs> the best way to remember it. So you haven't joined TikTok to do some Ramona dances? That hasn't... I, not- I, <laughs> <laughs> I have not joined TikTok yet. Uh, <laughs> me either. But I should. I, yeah, I, just, I have to say, it's like at this age, I'm, I'm going to be 40 years old this year. It just feels like I'm a little too old for it. But <laughs> yeah, it, I feel the same. I'm like, I don't need to do that. I'll see the good ones. The good ones will make it to Instagram and Twitter. I don't need to search them out myself. Exactly. I feel the same way, Connor. And I have to say, you know, <laughs> social media has a lot of negative things to it. People can be really horrific and horrible. Oh, I read a great thread the other day about what a terrible person I am. Well, you know, these things uh, just like make you laugh uh, at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. But I have found uh, that it, it can also be a place for really 
good, great things and that you can meet incredible people. And if it weren't for social media, you and I wouldn't be friends. And I just consider yeah. you such an incredible guy. I'm so glad that through oh, Twitter, you. we've gotten the opportunity to know one another. And I wanted you mm -hmm. to know that I am like really cheering you on at all turns. Like I live for your success and uh, as are everybody I know who listens to this podcast and everybody who follows you. So really congratulations for everything, Connor. I just think you're the best. Well, that's well, the feelings mutual. And when I, you were on my long list of like great American writers to do housewives stuff to talk to. And then when I saw you to book coming out, I was like, well, I'm thrilled. But now it's going to be a little, it sounds like a little longer to get all day on the podcast. But I'm thrilled that the book has been so successful. I mean, that I think we've, we've talked a lot and that's a lovely note to end on. So Dave, thank you very much for coming on Housewives and Me. Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> There you have it, Dave Quinn, author of Not All Diamonds and Rosé, here on Housewives and Me. You can check out the book. It's for sale online. I'll put links to where you can find it in the show notes for this episode. Always worth asking your local uh, independent bookshop too, because this book has been huge in the States. So I think you might be able to convince someone to order it in for you or find it that way. But there are definitely ways to get it online. And there is an audiobook coming soon, voiced by the amazing Amy Phillips, who you may remember was on the show a few weeks ago as well. So that is something to keep an eye out for. I'll pop links to the pre-order for that in the show notes as well. And you can follow Dave on social media as well. I'll put links to the Twitter and Instagram that he's on in the show notes also. And of course, you can follow this podcast at Housewives and Me on Twitter and Instagram. And I'm It's Connor Bean on those platforms as well. If you liked what you heard today and you're listening on Apple Podcasts, please do consider leaving a rating or a review. It really helps the show find new listeners. And I've been meaning to say this for ages. You can actually rate podcasts on Spotify now. So if you're a Spotify listener, please consider doing that. Because again, let's, let's get this show out there. Let's get more people involved. That would be very exciting. So thank Thank you very much for listening and until next time stay safe and i'll talk to you soon this podcast is sponsored by hey you the home of the housewives with every episode and every season of the real housewives available to stream or download you can head over to heyyou.com and get yourself a free trial and after that it is only $5.99 a month, which is like the price of a cup of coffee. Plus, there is no commitment you can cancel any time. I know January is duvet day time. You might want to take one of those for yourself just to get, you know, into the swing of things in the new year. Don't worry. Hey You has you covered. On Mondays, you will get new episodes of The Real Housewives of Salt Lake City. Thursdays, the OGs of the OC, Real Housewives of Orange County, is back. And on Fridays... We will turn the heat up even in January with the return of the Real Housewives of Miami. That is a really stellar lineup of our faves. I think we have plenty to look forward to even in January. That is the power of Heyu. So head over to heyu.com now and try it out for free.